Cause I'm in too deep And I'm trying to keep the butt in my head Instead of going under Cause I'm in too deep And I'm trying to keep the butt in my head Instead of going under Instead of going under So I was curious uh, to to ask the the owner, the farmer of uh, Cursed Farms, if <laughs> about his, uh, but a bit about his, uh, his uh, YouTube show and uh, how it happened that uh, you, Ross, got into the whole YouTube thing and, uh, uh, you know, your, your various shows, the, the Dungeon and Freeman's Mind and et cetera. Hi, yeah. Um, I never really know how to talk about myself. I have a YouTube channel that's mostly gaming videos it's never been particularly focused on any one thing uh i i guess i originally started out making civil protection which was a uh, machinima which is means uh video made using a game engine for animated stuff mm -hmm. but i got frustrated with how long the animation time took as an experiment i did a show called freeman's mind where i started playing through half-life and just giving a voice to every moment and thought of uh, Gordon Freeman, who's uh, one of the more famous gaming silent protagonists. And uh, it, it, that's still been going in slow motion because I, I'm working on other things too. And then later I realized, well, eventually at some point this is going to end. So uh, I was trying to see if I could keep the YouTube channel going. So I started making Ross's Game Dungeon, which is a sort of review show, but it, it, it's... <laughs> I've heard described as like a stream of consciousness also. So it's, uh, I, I try to make it interesting to watch, even if you're not that interested in computer games. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm still deciding for myself what it is, but yeah, it's a sort of review show, I guess, but I'm, I'm happy to go off course entirely. Like if I, if I play a game and, I feel like, wow, this kind of connects back to the JFK assassination. Then I'm just going to run <laughs> down that for a while and see where it goes. So, no, no, I was going to say, eventually I hope to get back to more kind of, kind of original shorts, uh, kind of probably 3D animated. Mm -hmm. So this, this, I feel like most of what I've done is sort of a compromise between making something that's not garbage versus getting something out in a sane amount of time. So. Yeah, I, I went back and looked at your oldest videos on your channel earlier, and they were 14 years ago. And I just thought, wow, that's just such a long time at this point. Did you ever, like, did you have a plan from the beginning, or was it just, I mean, I saw oh, one of your videos no, of you, like, running at, at pigeons in fact, and stuff. I, or... In fact, I was quite convinced I was never going to be able to get any sort of career doing something creative. I, I pretty much given up on that point. So, so the first civil protection was just purely a hobby thing I wanted to do. And, and in fact, the source engine was such a pain to work with. I, I think, yeah, the, I forget how long the first one took. It was like three or four weeks. But I remember thinking about halfway through it, I, I really was giving thoughts about just giving up on it. But I decided to be more painful as much time as I put into it. I decided to be more painful to do that than to go through and finish it. But and then after I made that, the reception was quite positive, which encouraged me to keep going with it. Uh, of course, uh, the one thing that I was <clears throat> planning to ask ever since the 
the beginning ever since since i watched your first video which was a few years ago which of course was armed and dangerous or dementia as yeah, it's yeah. sadly known in uh, europe uh, i was curious to ask you uh how do you pick the games for the dungeon because uh you of course you stick mostly at least to games that are not that well known i mean you you also do games that are well known for example sin but yeah, for the most part, I would say they're a bit more on the obscure side. So what's your um, like criteria? Do you like look at a game and say, oh, how many rants can I, can I do on this well, one no, game? No, it, it's very... There's not much of a system to it. It's very intuition-based, where mm -hmm. some games I'll just think about, and then I might get hooked on a thought and think about it more and more, and that ends up gravitating towards the front of the line for what I want to cover. Yeah, they, they, I guess the thing is with more obscure games, that can be kind of a discovery process, which can kind of make the show interesting. For more well-known ones, usually what that means is I have a lot of thoughts on them that I haven't seen echoed elsewhere. So, I mean, if somebody was to cover like a well-known game and say, yeah, it's great because of X, Y, and Z, and I don't really have much to say on it beyond that, then I probably wouldn't make a video on it because I figure what's the point, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. I'm parroting things, but like, well, for example, with, I covered, was it Deus Ex Human Revolution? And in that they talk about like the oil crisis from this year. I'm thinking, ah, yeah, see there, the, the U S military talked about that for guessing. <laughs> and then I, so I went down that I'm, I'm pretty sure no other review of Deus Ex was talking <laughs> of your revolution was talking about that. So, so yeah, this was not a bad guess before the fracking boom. So, I, I, see, that's the part that really—that's one part that really caught my attention. So, I figure, well, it's my video, so I'm going to talk about that. I don't have to. I, I'm not. I don't get a commission off of whether people go buy the game afterwards. So, I just kind of, <laughs> I, I just kind of lean into talking about what I find more interesting and try to keep it engaging somewhat for people watching it but yeah as for i, I can't even tell you it, it's kind of like asking well why do you think you dreamt about this this night and this that <laughs> it's kind of like that so so you just got hit with it and and rolled with yeah i i don't even i don't have a good answer for that it's just it's very <laughs> intuition driven I, I'm, uh, it's not the same thing exactly but there's a movie called the uh, I think it was called Thunderheart, had hmm. Val Kilmer, and then there, there's some mystery investigation on a Indian reservation. And while they're driving, they get pulled over by the local tribal police, and he hands them a ticket. He's, and the, the guy asked if he could read his uh, speedometer or whatever device they use to measure the speed. It says, oh, hmm. oh, I don't have one. Uh, I, I was just listening to the wind, and he was... He the wind was telling me, oh, he's going uh, thirty in a twenty-five mile per hour zone. Bust him! And then he hands him the ticket. And says, "You're welcome to challenge it in tribal court." You know? so, so he's just using his intuition for whether this guy's speeding or not. It's kind of like that for what game to pick next. You know? Yeah, um, I think actually your style in the game in the game dungeon is unique because of this. Because on one hand, of course, you follow intuition. For example, with uh, when I saw Trackmania, as you did a video on Trackmania, I was 
incredibly curious because I know that you would go on wild tangent about the world of Trackmania and what happened and why it's like that and all of that, of course, because well, I was well, see, sure that you... You may, not even, you may not even know what I'm going to do better than I do then because I don't always have all these <laughs> thoughts when... Uh, I, I, if, I, if I've decided to have an episode for the video... I'm pretty sure there's enough. I'll have some thoughts. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to talk about this and this, but then other things may come up that I wasn't expecting. So, mm-hmm. uh, so on one hand, you go the, as you said, intuition. So basically, anything that catches your eye or anything that's good. But on the other hand, of course, you do also a lot of research and you also go into the history of the development. I mean, as much as you can, of course, because sometimes it's almost no, impossible. not even that. It's <laughs> When it's convenient, or I'm particularly <laughs> curious about a certain point. No, I, I've said that before. Like, uh, there's another YouTuber, L- Lazy Game Reviews. I, I've emphasized that he is a gaming historian. He's actually going through and trying to get the all the information on this. And like, I remember watching one of his videos. It's, it was on a more obscure one. I was thinking, oh wow, he is the original box copy. Like, I never even saw that even in a store. <laughs> like, because I only stumbled onto it just decades later through abandonware, that sort of thing. So sometimes, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I try to, I try my best to be accurate when I mm-hmm. do say stuff. So I, if I don't know, I'll say, say as much in the video usually. So, but no, no, no there's definitely room for improvement if you're looking at it from a fact or <laughs> historical based perspective. No, no, well, of course. I mean, uh, speaking as a kind of a gaming historian myself, uh, I mean, the, the videos are, as you said, as accurate as you can make them in the information and stuff. So Th- That's convenient that, that think... for me and that I'm compelled okay. to research. Because <laughs> if I just don't feel like looking all this up, <laughs> say, well, this doesn't really change my original point, like what the development <laughs> process was for this. <laughs> Screw it, just keep going. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I almost look at these almost like a like a safari. You, you know, you're just going off into the wild, and yeah, you're gonna see some few things. But if there's a lion attack along the way, then well, we're gonna deal with that. Whole thing. <laughs> so, I was expecting to say you're very organized and and all of this, but no. <laughs> in some ways, uh, others not at all. So it's it's uh, organization in disorganization, so or. The other way around, I don't know. <laughs> you, you know. I remember, to give you a good analogy to this, I remember in high school at a physics class, and for the test, the teacher told us, you know, we had to include our notes when we turned in the test so we could kind of make sure we're not cheating or anything. And, and, he, and he looked at mine, and he was like, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, because my I might start notes at one place and then in another and he called what I had shotgun notation style because he could tell I did the work, but it's like you just load them all and just bloom at the page because <laughs> like I, I I might start one problem here, then do another there. Then I run out, then I go back and do another one in the margins. And then <laughs> maybe just, so we, we weren't being great in our notes. He just wanted to see the proof that we were doing it. So I, I have shotgun notation style according <laughs> to that teacher. So. Well, uh, I would say it works. I mean, at least it works uh, uh, to make you curious to actually look at the game. Because, <clears throat> for example, talking about uh, the, 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 the dementia, 
and uh, the whole uh, madness thing that's in the, the fact that you actually risk going mad yourself while you while you actually play the game and finish it because I'm not sure how many people actually did that despite you know walkthroughs. I did it originally <laughs> before I did the video, but I figured, all right, this is my excuse. Let's let's finish. <laughs> let, let, let's let's go all the way. <laughs> you know, I, I've I've used Game Dungeon as an excuse to to go back into games I would have given up on in the past because because <laughs> then it becomes more of a spectacle because knowing that there's an audience as opposed to just me going through it for my own. <laughs> if it's just you going crazy of course it's not uh yeah yeah it, it stops being fun after <laughs> yes uh, of course for anyone listening that has no idea what we're talking about dementia is uh um i think it's a european adventure game if i remember correctly yeah i, I may have gotten that wrong in the video i thought it was french but apparently i think it jeez it actually <laughs> oh, might have been no. a middle eastern game Ah, I, I... The Middle Eastern developer. Uh, what was yes, the... I think it was a Middle Eastern developer, yes. I but, forget but... which country. Mm. Well, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's a it, it's very surreal adventure game. It, it, I mean, it has a sense of humor to it, but it, it's very, it's kind of crazy. Like, I mean, the best analogy I can think of is, I, I remember... Like in the 80s, there'd be like some claymation cartoons that just got a little nuts. Oh, God, so so yes. it's, it's a bit like a bad drug trip, probably. Yeah. N yeah not a really bad sinister one, but just, you know, you're... <laughs> just one where you have no idea where you are or who you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would say. Yeah, yeah, and for some reason, D Dementia is a game that I very distinctly remember from back in the day, even though I'm kind of sure i haven't played it even though you, you know you're making the drug references kind of making me doubt myself maybe i did play it but i'm trying to forget like, yeah um, i guess the thing like is it has trip. pretty <laughs> decently high production value for the time yeah. too yes i mean it's it, yeah I, i'm trying to think yeah yeah it's like alice in wonderland on acid i guess yeah. so maybe a little grudgier yeah. <laughs> wow. that's, that's what i would compare it to uh, yes, uh, you actually making the acclamation reference made me remember those. Um, I'm going on a tangent here, but yes, I, I, we have the right guy so for that. Uh, uh, I remember those, uh, ter those some terrible claymation like um, children's cartoon that I used to watch in like '91 or something like that, and they were used actually to teach French to children that, of course, were, I don't know, from Europe, I guess. So, of course, I don't think they ever... I remember a cartoon used to teach around. French. It was like Muzzy or something. Uh, I, I think it was something called... I, I don't called, know like, what used to teach French. But... Monsieur Bonbon, something like that. But it was, okay. uh, I don't know, kind of disquieting. Like, thinking back to it now. And, of course, there's no reference to it whatsoever on the internet. So it's one of those things where you think you actually dreamt it up or... <laughs> the name was something else and <laughs> just have no idea but yeah we're making yeah, lots of, uh, of drug uh, trip references and uh, on this uh, episode um so uh of course there's an another topic along uh weird games that you dedicated um, a couple of videos about and also very long and research videos which is of course uh digital games or games as a service as you oh yeah as you called it <laughs> and um 
this is something interesting because um, your video, I think, your, your, your first video, actually, I think, spurred a lot of discussion uh, about the topic. I mean, not enough discussion in that, of course, things haven't really changed since then. Uh, but yeah, I, I, at least it got, it got the problem out there, which is, uh, I don't think people really realize where we were headed and where we're still headed, I think. Uh, so, um, should I give a quick summary of, yeah, if you want, yes. Yeah, okay. For, for the listeners, I made a video called games as a service is fraud. And I, I did, a, I did do a lot of research on this one. Like uh, that's, um, basically the short version is I was trying to point out the practice that so many games now, there's a growing number, rely on the company server to even run. So not not to download them, everything, but just if you just want to run the game at all. And traditionally, that used to be just kind of MMO-type games doing that, but it's extended to more and more. And I've seen games basically die because of that. See, usually when people say like a, in the past, people say a game is dead. They might mean that nobody plays it anymore. This is, it doesn't matter. It's impossible for anyone to play that. And the, the legal, the basic legal argument I made in that is a lot of these games are sold under perpetual licenses, meaning you own a, that copy of the game forever under licensed terms. But when they pull the plug you, on it, the game's rendered worthless, basically, and unplayable. So, and this hasn't been tested under the law, really, and that I can tell. It, it's it, what it reminds me a lot of is when Uber started becoming popular. That this existed in this gray space of the law. It's like, well, are these employees, or are, is this service subject to this taxi re regulations? And a lot of countries had to figure it out. Whereas everything's in slow motion, and this hasn't been addressed really which is what I'm trying to do. And the reason I'm so motivated on this is because this literally destroys games. You know, so if there's a game you like a whole lot and it uses this model, at some point, it's just going to be completely unplayable. In fact, I, on my show, I covered one or two like that, uh, Dark Spore and Battleforge, where I played footage from them and talked about them. You can, well, Battleforge may have gotten lucky by having fans resurrected but you cannot play dark sport anymore no one can play that game and that's that's just always rubbed me the wrong way in incredible fashion and the fact that this overlaps with this being a potential consumer issue also that there means there might be some legal teeth to take action against this so i also yeah. think do you think it's just an accessibility issue or do you think uh, I, I personally think it's just killing creativity in games. Like games as a service is just, it's just turning everything they want to jam this always online into everything. And it's just. Yeah. Well, th there's some of that. See, there's some of that too, but it's like, there's always been kind of shadier practices in the games industry where some things are just kind of trying to push product and rather than making something that's more creative or enjoyable. But this one just draws such a line with me because everything gets destroyed at the mm. end. You know, mm. at least with other, well, let's say a game that was, well, yeah, actually, I think there's a cult classic, uh, if I understanding, there's a game called Chex Quest, which was based off the Doom engine. And it has this yeah. cult following where it's basically Doom, except 
they were pushing the Czech cereal, but it had <laughs> yeah. some creative elements to it, and people find enjoy some people find it enjoyable even now. So you, you can kind of take the good with the bad from that, or you, you know find the parts that you like. But this just kills everything. No one can play it again, and that's just especially since I'll play games from a wide range of time, you know, old ones or more modern ones that just know that this is going to be destroyed. It just bothers me a lot. It's like, well, I mean, in the video, I compare it to book burning kind of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. uh, I think especially from a preservation issue, which again, touches a bit, of course, on the history of games, because with no preservation, there is no history, obviously. It's just overall talk, yes. But uh, this is a big problem in the in the digital era on the preservation because, for example, I've, I've been talking a bit about with, with the guys uh, that run the Scumwem project, some of the co-leads. And, of course, they said that the problem of preservation was always there, of course. Yeah, I mean, even the 90s and the 80s because, if of course, people kept the... Even those who kept the, the source... Uh, for, from the games, which you know, it's not that many people, but even those who kept them usually kept on floppies or art or drives, you know, so all that data that's going to be someday lost and many times was actually lost. But with digital era, this actually you would one would think would become kind of easier, but it's really not because the, of course they said it's so difficult to actually access the raw data of these kind of games that are released only digitally. And also, uh, of course, there's a problem that these kind of games get up- updated all the time. They get like 10, 15, like 20, even more patches. Think of, for example, games that are in early access. They get even hundreds of, of updates sometimes. Uh, so it's so, if no one is keeping track of the documentation, if no one is keeping track of the changes that occur from each version to another, it's impossible to reconstruct that. Even 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 in five years, it's going to be impossible. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a little it, it's it's worse. I feel like that all of this because, like you mentioned, like games from like eighties or nineties. Well, what might it, what what happened sometimes? Well, you probably know more about this than I do, but like let's say somebody kept the floppy or they kept the the cartridge that it came on to. Later mm-hmm. down the line, somebody might go in like preservationists and try to get all the the copy of that data off it exactly. And by then they might've made emulation efforts of the original system it was meant to run on and eventually mm-hmm. decode this stuff. So it, it wasn't a walk in the park, but it's like you had some tools to work with. Yeah. We're here, this model, it keeps things, it, it makes it almost impossible because they're, they're, it's withholding key data that you need to just run the game itself. So it mm-hmm. was, it's, I'm, I'm not actually someone who feels like every single game needs to be preserved, but I feel like anyone <laughs> who wants to preserve a game should be allowed to, you, you know, or, mm-hmm. or same thing with movies or books, that, that sort of thing, you know, w- music. There are ways to preserve all those other mediums. If you mm-hmm. really, if you have access to it and you really want to, you, you know, games are the only one where some, no, it's pretty much impossible. Like if they, or or it would take, uh, yeah, I think in the video I said it would basically take more. No, no, I said it would take about as much effort as it took during World War II to decipher the the code the Axis was using. 
And then I got some people correcting me saying, no, it, it's harder than that. <laughs> so after I made the video, uh, you basically would have to reverse engineer the server software that had encrypted packets for it. So it's, it's like breaking into a bank vault. A person, mm. an average person can't do that. It's, it's almost worse, really, because it's, you, it's, like, it's like breaking into a bank vault and then building the bank after that or something. I mean, it's, <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's, this is incredibly avoidable. It, there's nothing that's mandatory about this. It's just that yep. it's, it was convenient for a lot of businesses, and this has become sort of a de facto norm, but the law never c- caught up with it. Mm-hmm. So I think like we're seeing that now, aren't we? Like issues with uh, the with the GTA trilogy definitive edition thing, where they've gone and like retconned all the others and taken the music out, and uh, like you can't buy the older versions now, or you can only buy this new version that's absolutely terrible. And uh, yeah, it's just a worrying, isn't it? Well, like, see, how it's, you can... it's worse than that though, because <laughs> <laughs> it's worse. like it, it's as. Because, okay, let's say GTA, like, all right, the rights changed and they're changing things around. Maybe you don't like them. Well, you know what? You can, I'm pretty sure you could go on eBay and find a copy of the old ones if you wanted to. And then mm-hmm. maybe jump through mm-hmm. some hoops to get it work, working on a console or PC True. to get the, the original experience out of mm-hmm. it. So, I mean, or for some game, well, for Abandonware, and there's plenty of real older games where, these games only exist now because of pirate groups at the time kept copies of them. Those circulated around the original ones, the publisher, the developer didn't care. It got buried and there was too few copies to care, but on this pirate archive, it's still working or, or sometimes they add DRM, which later advances in technology, make it so that you can't eat or not technology sometimes, but the servers, they make it so that you can't, the game won't work anymore. However, the pirated copy, which got cracked, mm-hmm. still works. So that, that's happened to some other games. So I'm I'm kind of less worried about the stuff that's like inconvenient, but there is a way to do it. I'm more, the stuff that just drives me nuts is when no, all doors are shut. No one is ever playing mm-hmm that game again do do you think that's the way they're trying to take it deliberately publishers and i've heard a few might i think most of them just don't care i I think it's mostly they just set up the server because there can be reasons to funnel everything through the server it can make anti-cheat measures easier let them like have more control over the economy uh just uh, it's much better for stat tracking if they want to use that to improve the game somehow. So there are reasons to have it. It's just completely reckless the way they're doing it with having no end of life plan at all. Um, and, and I don't know if it's a perfect analogy. I think in one of my videos I compared it. It's like setting up, or yeah, I can cut down on piracy too. But the thing yeah. is, I said, it's kind of like setting up landmines, you know, defend yourself during a war. And after the war is done, you just yeah. leave them there. No documentation or anything. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, pretty you common, actually. You don't disarm them. Just, they're just still there. Yes, so. But, you know, it's funny because you touched on piracy and, and, like, kind of how that ties in with everything. <clears throat> and, um, you know, sometimes the pirated way, like, they, you know, a few years ago when a lot of games were coming out with Denuvo and it was, crap, like, really slowing people's machines down and then the pirated versions just ran flawlessly. I, I think that's, I think, you say a few years ago, I think, 
that's I mean, probably even still happening. increased since then. Yeah. <laughs> I read an article yeah. on that not long ago. I'm, I mean, I, what, what are your opinions on piracy? Because I think it's like people who pirate games probably wouldn't buy the game anyway. They either don't have the money or... So I'm not really... I don't think that's... You know, when pu- publishers try to tell you it, it's so how much hard money to tell losing. because of... It, it's so hard to tell because of the stat tracking. I think there is some truth that... Uh, there are some lost sales, like especially during the first couple of weeks. I think it can make a pretty dramatic difference. But I, I mean, I, I'd say the average person, if they know they can just buy the game and it's easy and convenient, they're probably going to do that. I mean, I think the average person just goes the way of least resistance. Mm, Whereas, yeah. you know, to pirate a game, you have to do some research. And then if you get it from the wrong place, it high chance it might have a virus in it because uh, that's a great way to distribute them. Uh, and then you have to jump through some more hoops to get it working, that sort of thing. So it's hard to say. I think there maybe is some truth, but probably not to the extent that the industry is concerned about it. I mean, I I don't know. I I think what might, to me, the best of both worlds would be to just kind of, okay, have a piracy protection at the start, but then you know, I announced that after a certain date, it's going to be gone. So that that might, uh, some companies have done that much later. Like I think the original Warcraft, well, who knows now? They they kind of reverse course. Like the original <laughs> Warcraft 3, at one point, one of the patches removed the CD check. I remember. Oh, yeah. like, this was like years later. But then they did more stuff that got to a mess with that game. Uh, but But I guess... It might take some of the wind out of the sails of the pirates if they know that all their work on this is going to be pointless in a couple months anyway. So that might remove some of the incentive. I mean, I'm kind of okay with the company doing whatever they want to, as far as anti-piracy measures. I guess my, my point is, okay, well, what about at the end? What, what about once you're done supporting mm. the game, you're not selling them, then what? That That's the part that I feel like is just totally unexamined by the law right now. Mm. Yeah, because I, I think there, are, there were actually many cases, uh, I think the one of research where the publisher actually, when the copies were sold out, so we're talking about, of course, the, the physical era, the copies were sold out, It just they just said, you know what, we don't care. We're not going to reprint it ever again. Uh, so, for example, talking about games from on the Sega Mega Drive or Sega Genesis, uh, Electronic Cars, for example, in the case I'm thinking of, said we're not going to reprint it anymore because we have a much better game, which was John Madden, of course, that it's going to make us money and it's cheaper to produce than your game. So we're going to reprint that and never reprint yours. And that game has never been... Rings of Power, I'm talking about it again, sorry. So that, that Rings of Power has never been re-released in any form. It's not on Virtual Console. It's not on, I don't know, Naughty Dog website. Well, okay, maybe it is. Rings I don't of know. Power? Yes, Rings of Power from 1991 by the old Naughty Dog. I mean, the original Naughty Dog from the two guys. <clears throat> uh, so maybe it's from, from Free the Lot somewhere. I don't know about it. Yeah, again, it's never been really re-released officially in any form or anything. So, uh, so, so I think in those cases, I think when the publisher is clearly saying, "I don't care about making money on this game," uh, you know, at, at that point, I think 
I, I wouldn't say it can be freely pirated, but there's no real loss. Well, under the law... Um, yeah, of course, under the law well, still... <laughs> well, under the law, there's no such thing as abandoned wear. Yeah, uh, well, we know that. Uh, but, yeah, I doubt they're going to care that much if it's being pirated. I mean, the lawyers will because that's their job, but <laughs> it, it depends on the... It depends on the developer. Most of the time, they just don't care. And like the original developers are probably happy if somebody's still yeah. interested in playing it. Like, yeah. So this might be more with the publishers. Uh, mm-hmm. Even then, that's, that's a little different too, because if it's you know, like with a cartridge for the Sega Genesis, that takes real resources to kind of keep making, keep producing that and selling copies of it. And that can be a hassle. I mean, digital copies, it's, I mean, I guess it, the only real cost I would think of would be original contract terms and licensing issues for, for making the original game. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, to see the thing is I feel like that's fine. If companies just want to drop the game like, okay, we're done. We made the, yeah. money. but the thing is you can't like load it with the landmines after that. So that no <laughs> yeah. one can ever experience it again. Yeah. I mean, so it's, exactly. yeah, that, that's the part that, I just I feel like it's indefensible, really, from mm-hmm. both from both a preservationist art perspective or a consumer rights one, because they sold you the game, you know, and or the mm-hmm. copy of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the video, I pointed out how a lot of end user license agreements say that like you you do not own this game or something. Well, what they're referring to is the intellectual property rights of that game. So yeah, if you buy but what Sonic the Hedgehog game, you don't own the rights to Sonic the Hedgehog. You own your <laughs> oh, no. copy of that game, you know. That's what that that's what that means when they say that this product is licensed, not sold. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a common myth that people misunderstood. Mm. Misunderstand for that one. So yeah, if you ever see that this game is licensed, not sold, then they mean the franchise is licensed. <laughs> No, you, you, they did sell you your copy of that. And that has some, at least in theory, that has some legal protections, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, going back on, I mean, talking about digital games as a whole, uh, I think it's still, uh, I think we're still very much in kind of a primitive kind of era where, you know, the, the companies are making all the decisions and, the end users are just, you know, uh, accepting them, just being, you know, passive. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a theory that companies can get away with anything with a game if the game is good, if the game's really yep, good. Yep. Now, like, like so, so customers will accept any anti-consumer practice or inconvenience or whatever if the game is great. So mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, because that was actually... a concept that came up is really games uh it's been extreme actually for copyright law that they're really uh what are called creative monopolies because Mm -hmm. there's no if there's a game or i mean this goes for other creative works as well like books or movies sure there might be games or something that are similar to it but it doesn't have each one's unique so so the idea behind copyright is to kind of give the the creator of the original a chance to kind of make some money back off mm-hmm. of it before it becomes more open. Whereas if you're buying a screwdriver, 
if it's a different brand, it's going to be about as functional as the other one. So it's not unique in the same way that a creative works is. Also, uh, for example, I've recently been um, uh, a victim. Well, I'm making air quotes here because I mean, you know, victim. Uh, of something that made me pause in thought for a, for a minute or two in that uh, I don't remember the name of the game, but this was basically a game that was sold by the website Fanatical as part of a bundle. Yeah. And apparently Fanatical bought this as part of a bunch of keys that were apparently... I don't know if it's stolen from the creator or something. Yeah, I've heard it's like, like gray that. market where yes, was something. But like you maybe know, it was so. part of a promotion for some other person that wasn't meant to be sold that way or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know how it all works. Something fishy going on, and uh, basically the creator asked Steam to revoke all the all the licenses that were you know a bit fishy, <laughs> part of this whole gray area. So basically, from one day to another, you could find that a game that you had bought even as you know, if it's part of a bundle that you have bought that you have in your steam um library it's gone it's not there anymore it's it's it's, it's important with no warning whatsoever as well so <laughs> it wasn't yeah, like see, one of those cases I, that's the sort of thing that sounds like if that really went to court it might not hold up but we're, we're kind of again the law is lagging so far behind uh, all these issues whereas the companies are moving forward with what works for them I mean, I mean, I yeah. think that's, yeah, I mean, I guess people forget now for a long time, if you bought a PC game, if you opened it or ran it, like, that's it. You're not getting a refund. Mm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it's only later once this stuff got, started getting challenged in court, it might have been in Australia, that uh, Valve and other companies started to offer refunds past a certain point. So, mm -hmm. yeah, because that used to be the norm. Like, if it was a console game, all right, you know, you could return that, but a PC game, forget it. You know, mm. it does. If it was open, that that's it. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think there was an issue, an issue in Italy as well. At least, until at least the European Union, with the whole consumer rights thing, uh, like uh, intervened, and then of course made it that everyone has the rights to uh, give back the item in uh, like before thirty days are up, or you know something like that, like the, part of the rights of the consumers. But yeah, before that, you could try to get a, a game back to the shop. And I remember sometimes I succeeded it, especially when I was a kid, because of course a kid has, you know, it's uh, its ways of uh, uh, trying to... Uh, well, well plus it would have been newer territory too for the clerks and management. So, so they yeah. wouldn't have like this crackdown procedure locked in place for everything yeah. just they, they might you might get lucky and they treat it like a normal return so yeah yeah it's a, so the kind of thing of like oh it doesn't work anymore so okay can you ch exchange it of course the game worked i just i had it finished in like three hours and i wanted to play something else so <laughs> yeah i was like eight years old so that worked i'm pretty sure it wouldn't work now <laughs> but yeah no just kidding uh but yeah the <clears throat> This, the interesting thing is that uh, back in the late 90s, I think, uh, the consumer rights actually contributed a lot, at least in Italy, to piracy for the PlayStation 1. The PlayStation 1 in Italy was, I mean, I'm, I'm about to say plagued, but I say it also contributed a lot to PlayStation having quite a big, uh, you know, stronghold in Italy. So I think in the end, 
it came out pretty well for Sony because, of course, when the PlayStation 2 came around, piracy was basically gone, but everyone was still hooked on PlayStation, and so they all bought it. And so I think it, you know, it turned out pretty well. I think maybe it was also in their interest not not to really, you know, intervene in the whole piracy. Yeah, thing you mentioned piracy. That's actually another element that I don't know how much has been looked into. Where hmm. if you have if your game is popular enough that it is getting pirated, it's hard to say how much of that is lost sales versus more market exposure to get more legitimate sales. So, you, you know, you still have people pirating it, but then those people are talking to other people about the game. Mm-hmm. Maybe that other person buys a copy, that sort of thing. So it's it's hard to say. Yeah, uh, I think it depends because, of course, with PlayStation was a, a different thing, but <clears throat> uh, back in the late 80s and early 90s in Italy, of course, piracy was basically kind of an industrial thing in that, of course, you had actual legitimate companies that were selling pirated games. So, of yeah, course... See, I, I yeah. can understand where companies really want to crack down on that. <laughs> That's a lot different than, like, some... Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're selling counterfeit copies by the thousands. I can see where companies <laughs> might not be so thrilled about that versus some kid downloading something or copying it from their friend, you know? Yeah, yeah, and uh, this was something, of course, that uh, I'm trying to make people understand that it's different from what you would call normal piracy. In that normal piracy, you got yeah, you know, yeah, kid, no, that, that, that <laughs> I don't really burning. have much sympathy for that level. <laughs> yeah, you will have, you know, it's going in every country. You would have kids burning CDs to their friends and shops, uh, you know. And, and the thing a, is, those. <laughs> conclusively lead to lost sales because yes. they're buying them from the from the other person like yeah yes. and of course also this uh, uh gave pretty much uh, was pretty much a death sentence for the actual you know legitimate gaming industry in italy of course for italian developers that wanted to work on something original uh, they would find no one that would actually give them money because, of course, why would a producer actually take a risk on something that was, you know, new and also developed by that were basically kids, teenagers, as opposed to just, you know, take whatever game is popular from the UK and pirate it with no risk whatsoever and sell whatever cup or many many copies you want and basically for free. So, uh, you know, in industrial piracy was. <laughs> I mean, quite all, a big most problem. of my PS1 games were pirated. So. <laughs> Mine too. I, I actually, uh, I'm going like saying this. So I, I don't know if the police will knock on my door in a minute. Yeah, they will. But yeah. I, actually, <laughs> I actually used to sell um, pirated PlayStation games back in high school. So myself actually had a list and I provided you with a, with a nice color, <laughs> color <problem>. copy. And <laughs> <laughs> you had a problem. Yeah, and, all, and all that. But yeah, basically everyone was doing it back in the day. So, But again, there, there were kids. You know, there, there wasn't just... Sony made back the money. Yeah, the I, code, I the feel code, like that's so. such a minor element of like the total game sales and everything. I, I mean, it can vary, but again, if your game is popular enough to get pirated in the first place, that's it's probably a good sign because then you have a certain <laughs> level of exposure. Plus digital, yeah, yeah. quick distinction. You kept mentioning digital games. Digital mm-hmm. games aren't the problem. It's the, you cannot run the game unless you're actively connected yep. to the mm-hmm. server that's the problem. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you buy a digital game and then you download it, 
and then you can run it whether you have a connection or not, then that's fine. That's mm-hmm. great. It's a convenience for a lot of people. So. Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, something that uh, uh, I've noticed is that uh, <clears throat> I wrote an, an article about the whole uh, kind of death of the video game shop, basically. And while doing research for it, I actually discovered that um, it's uh, young kids that uh, prefer to buy physical copies. And this was something, you know, a bit of a surprise. Well, I can believe that. There's a lot of aesthetic appeal. Yeah. Uh, uh, but they weren't doing it. I mean, at least what they told me, that not for the aesthetic appeal, but because, of course, it was easier to resell them when they were done. And Jesse does that too. I know that. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, they're trying to... Un- well, the console makers are trying to undo that or if they'll have yeah. like a code that gets activated for... Or yeah. or yeah, like I think, I think it was a joke a while back. I, I want to say it was like one of the, the Metal Gear, solid games for PC where, you, you bought it and then like inside the box, there was nothing of the game at all. It was just like a CD to install Steam and the Steam code in it. So, and, and this was a big game. This is like fifty gigs or something. So it's like, it might have been a convenient to be able to install a lot of that. Convenience to be able to install a lot of that data. Yeah, th- there's actually many of these cases. For example, um, I recently bought a game. Uh, uh, I can't remember the title now. It wasn't GameStop. It was sold as new, so it was you know legitimately new. But I saw there was something fishy about it because I think like. The cover was missing or something, but you know all the CDs were there. So uh, you know, uh, stupidly enough, I said, "Oh, it's going to install," but of course it would not install because there was no code to activate it. So the only way that I would be able to install my game that I bought was by buying it again. So that was a uh, you know a great argument for digital against physical, indeed. Yeah, but. Uh... <laughs> I mean, of course, it, it, I, I, it's uh, to me. Yeah, I mean, people still say that, like, oh, that's why I only buy physical games. I mean, <laughs> to me, the distinction is becoming more meaningless. It, it's just matter. Yeah. All that matters is, mm-hmm. in order to run the game, do you have to connect online? If the mm-hmm. answer is yes, then yeah. it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not secured, you know. Because, well, I mean, the issue I'm talking about, games as a service, it's affecting a lot of popular games. I mean. Like something I can think of, or like the 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 crew, the division, uh, Destiny uh, series. Or what are some other? Well, yeah, newer one, Fallout seventy six. Though that one's contentious for some people. <laughs> uh, J- just anything I'm by Ubisoft. Some more popular ones that are. And, and 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 there's another thing that I guess younger people misunderstand is that they think. Well, duh, it has to connect online. It's a multiplayer game or something. Well, yeah. The, I, I mean, again, that's more convenient for stat tracking for the bigger companies. But I mean, in the old days or like the 90s, you know, you could play online multiplayer indefinitely with no company interfering. You just connect to a server, mm. you know, somebody, and you could host the server if you wanted mm. to mm-hmm. have a third party. So there's nothing that's intrinsic about like because I, I was thinking of a game like overwatch that's probably another one well you know that's just an arena shooter or it's you know 
if they wanted to, you could just connect to other people and run yeah. that game indefinitely, but they've structured it in a way that you can't. And they have mm-hmm. reasons for that. I'm not I'm not saying it's like totally pointless, but it's not a good enough excuse to kill the game permanently once they're done supporting it. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think we're we're facing sort of like an educational issue with young like younger gamers because they have they don't have this context of you know playing the games like uh, on a dial-up modem and someone picks up the phone and then they get cut off and you know they don't have all that kind of they don't remember that they assume everything has just always been online and so do you think uh, yeah i mean there's definitely i think a lot of younger players definitely don't understand you can have an online multiplayer game playing with other people and the company could go out of business and you could keep playing the game. You know, like, mm. I, I think a lot of them don't understand that. And maybe not enough of them have seen the games die yet. I'm, see, from my perspective, I'm kind of looking at this like canaries in a coal mine, you know. The, the canaries <laughs> are dying. <laughs> the miners yeah. are still o- okay. So I think maybe once big games that they care about, more of them get destroyed. That could wake them up. But I, I don't know. That, that, that's unfortunately a disadvantage for this is because... If if there's a problem that affects buyers on launch, that just gets dogpiled on by consumers, the media, everyone. But if it's once the popularity has dwindled, so it's still a so it's just a minority of people who care about it, then that just doesn't get as much exposure or action from it. So fortunately, it works against it works against trying to get change on it. But. Yeah, I think part of the problem is. It's kind of like an industry where everyone wants to be excited about games, and so that they don't like to be talk about maybe some of the <laughs> negative stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, it, it drives me crazy because this is all unnecessary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, we, we played arena shooters fine back in the nineties, and we didn't need to be connected even massive all the time. games. Let's say an MMO. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. Let's say you're done with it. I mean, I talk about this game as a service. There are measures you can do to give your community a fighting chance to keep the game going in some fashion. I mean, it may not be on the same scale or have like the same quality of service that you have, but there's there's a world of difference between the game missing a couple features versus no one can ever play it again. So it's... Yeah. Um, and something else that, uh, you, of course, your video made me think about, because we only mentioned basically, uh, yeah, mostly multiplayer, not, not all multiplayer games. But yeah, yeah, oh, mostly. yeah, well, speaking of blurring, I mean, Destiny, that, that game, or Destiny 2, that game has a single-player campaign in it. Yeah, so it's... and if we actually move forward with the whole, uh, you know, streaming games, so not actually yeah, well, having... That's the... Death knell for me. Yeah, that's basically <laughs> it. I mean, at that point, we're going from games as a service, from games as stream, and that's probably you know, my cutoff point. Where th- th- that's when I become <laughs> yeah. a, an actual luddite. I think when, <laughs> when games are streaming only, th- that that's when I'm gonna become a luddite because <laughs> it's just it's a bridge too far for me. Uh, I, I I guess the uh, ironic saving grace to that is especially in the u.s the internet situation is so spotty that that's it's a hard sell that not enough of the consumer base is on board for them to make that a good experience for enough players that's kind of stunning it but yeah 
Yeah, because you know, I talk about huge, large chunks of the code missing. and you have nothing from streaming yeah. than to to try to yeah throw the game. Though, though I yeah. made another video that sort of outside the box thinking where I talk about my dream software, where you wouldn't get the full game from this, but AI is advancing to the point where what we can extrapolate from imagery is getting impressive. So I'm I'm keeping fingers crossed that in the future it can analyze a lot of footage, take its best guess to recreate <laughs> a, a a version of that map or the world as it as it guessed it, and then maybe it could apply some mechanics. It seems to be sense. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but we really are making progress with pattern recognition from AI. So I'm hoping at some point in the future. Even from a streaming game, if you fed it to an AI with enough footage, it could actually recreate something resembling the original. But I mean, <laughs> uh, the more complex the game is and the more elements, the less that could happen. But I, like you guys said, arena shooter, I bet you could recreate a, something quite similar from that. So, yeah, yeah no, I'm, I, I'm fine with streaming games as an option. But when it's mandatory, like that's the only way to play the game. No, that's like the bane of my existence because <laughs> then you then you have no then you have no illusion of being able to preserve it, you know, or play it when you want. You know, it's once they're done supporting it. But thankfully, that's still kind of in its infancy. But we'll yeah. see. Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I was curious also about something um, when talking about. Uh, we, we, we talked about basically playing a game after years after it's been released. And sometimes, of course, you can, as you say, you can access it anymore. But sometimes, you, of course, you, you can work you, the magic of retro-engineering something. And, you know, even if you don't have the raw data, the source file, of course, as you said, you can reconstruct something and all of that. But <clears throat> then comes a, a question, a problem maybe, in that, of course, you can either just recreated as it was so warts and all so bugs everything <laughs> just left as it is uh, or make some quality of life improvements or even restore content that was not used for example i'm thinking of rooms in adventure games that were not used you can restore it so at least the player can see them and stuff like that but how, ross how do you stand i guess on this discussion of like the purity of the original versus the quality of life improvements. What would you say is uh, the right way? Maybe the, oh, I, the middle. <laughs> I mean, are you talking about like for like modders or official re-releases or just any of it? Or? Yeah, or even you know games that are supported by uh, even programs like Scumboem or something like that. So that sometimes they've done. I mean, that I, I think. I mean, if people want to experience the original or something, I'm fine with that. I tend to be. Fine with remakes, though. I want to say there's a whole lot of remakes that are re-releases where they're either have objectively things that are objectively worse, or else they're side grades. I was I was literally talking to this with a friend of mine yesterday. Like I was looking at footage of was it Assassin's Creed Three? They it was a remaster, and you could <laughs> see that they had higher resolution textures. But then I was looking at the city portions. I was like. Wow, they really slapped that brown filter on it now. <laughs> it's like, why did they do that? This looks pretty ugly. Like, it's, it's like, why does this keep happening? Because I've seen this with uh, like Fable, 
like that, that's a colorful fairy tale kind of game. And like the remaster has that has like gray or brown tinting filter to everything. And then like the models look off. So it's like some, okay, like the shadows are more accurate, but it's like, what are they? No, this is like kind of a mess. I think I might want to play the original over this. Or I was watching, I looked at comparison footage of, was it Sleeping Dogs versus the Definitive Edition? And it's like, man, like, okay, well, this shot, I guess this one looks better. This one, I don't know, the atmosphere of the original kind of looks better. Here's, I think Kingdoms of Amalur had something like that too, where it's like, Okay, it looks kind of better here, kind of worse. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know why this keeps happening. Like, what? If it was me, I would just like, okay, well, let's increase the texture resolution from our originals, and you know, maybe if there's some easy lighting enhancements, like better shadow resolution or something, we'll do that. Just make sure the controls work all right. You know, support <laughs> higher resolutions and frame rates, and then yeah, we're good. Let's just you know. ship it, ship uh, it. I mean, as for enhancements, I mean, I'm fine if people want to attempt that. I mean, I, for me, that's most impressive, especially for really old games where the the enhanced version is like th- there's been so much progress technologically that it's it's almost like a different game or just very different experience because the clarity is so much higher. Like, uh do you think, like, I think maybe Microsoft are doing the perfect sort of thing with the Xbox backwards compatibility, compatibility, where it's just the same old game, but they they're just making it so it's blown up in 4K, and rather than like a Silent Hill HD Comic Sans fiasco ordeal. Yeah, that's certainly the safe route to go. I mean, just yeah, re-release it, just. You know, just do some real minor things, like maybe be able to remap your controls or something like that, or you said higher resolutions and just kind of release it as is. I think that's especially effective for, like, especially on the PC for console exclusives of the past, where PC players missed out on it. So now you get to have, I think, um, what was it? Uh, Dead Rising did that, where... It just it looks like the original game. It's just you can run it at high resolutions, and I I played that. I mean, my, my view may not be the best because I'm totally fine with playing dated graphics anyway. Mm. But, <laughs> you know. but mine too, of course. Uh, I think the 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 best case scenario in all of these remakes and remasters that we talked about is always having the option to just go back to the original. And if you actually saw, for example, the, the LucasArts remakes, that's basically what happened in that when they released the first Monkey Island, everyone got so so angry about the new design that from that point on, they just you know give you the option just switch back to the old graphics with the press of a button. Oh, I thought that was built in, like from the re-release. No, but also on the first one? Uh, maybe it was. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought so. Like they had like a feature where you could swap between the original graphics mm. versus the ant, the redrawn ones. Okay, maybe it's a, it's, a, it's on the first one as well. So maybe I mean, I'm wrong. I mean, maybe they got that feedback in development. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's uh, maybe I'm wrong. I, I haven't <laughs> researched it. I just something I remember. I, I'm fine but if yes. companies want to enhance games. I mean, this, I, I could think of games that. Well, I mean, the, well, probably the biggest enhancement one I'm looking forward to would be the System Shock. Mm, uh, yeah. Re- redo because that sounds like they're gonna try to 
have the spirit of the original, but the original is pretty clunky in terms of a lot of mechanics. Mm. So Mm-mm. I'd be happy to see that have an overhaul. But yeah, I mean, there are some things that get more subjective. It's just, I'm surprised by these changes where I bet if you got a room full of fans and people interested in it, they'd all say, oh no, that's worse. Like 90%. <laughs> so there's some changes it's like, okay, well, it's a little different than others. It's like, I, I bet the majority would say this is bad. Uh-huh. But there's also, when a company does it, there can be all sorts of reasons too. Like um, we mentioned the GTA re-release. I was watching some images where they had the, they have a comparison and the original game, I think it was San Andreas. They had a shop to tough nut donuts and mm. in it, you see a donut and then there's this like lug nut on there, you know, that kind of go with the mechanical and the, and the remake, they just rounded it completely. So it looks like a spacer. Now they missed the, the language <laughs> aspect of it. They're like, no, this actually was supposed to be a hexagon here, you know? So. Yeah. Um, I think, for example, I was uh, recently looking at um, at um, Scumworm when they uh, they supported Blade Runner, the uh, the adventure game, and I actually hadn't looked at the the change logs. I mean, the, the things that they implemented, and it's really it feels almost like a real director's cut. They added so much stuff that was left out in text and audio and new endings, even no and all all stuff that was actually on the CD. So, <laughs> of course, it wasn't just you know out of nowhere and and stuff, but still, I mean, I, I I maybe I'm thinking too hard about this, but sometimes I pause and say, uh, but what's the the actual honest version that one is supposed to play in these cases when <laughs> there's so much changes to the original experience? Because of course, I mean, the developers are I guess you I, i'm not i'm not sure if they were in contact with the scum web developers but okay i'm, I'm sure they agree that it, it's good that they actually restore content that was cut at the last minute i'm sure they're happy and everyone is happy to see new stuff of course but still i think it's worth to ask is this a, the right way to experience the game <laughs> what do you think well i mean uh, you, you have to look at a, a, a lot of games probably ship before they they got as much polish or completion as the original developer wanted to. So yeah, sometimes the cut content, it maybe didn't fit in so well cohesively with what actually was the original vision. Other times they just ran out of time. We've got a ship now. Okay, we thought we were gonna add this. We don't have time, let's just go. So I I think that second scenario probably happens more. Um, I don't worry about it too much as long as there's not really obvious issues between the two. Like, again, I hate that brown filter tinting on things. So <laughs> when I see that added, and like, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think was it not long ago on GOG, they released, what was it Outcast 1.1? 1. 1. Yeah. And, and like the Outcast games, there's Outcast Classic, there's Outcast 1.1, 1. 1, and there's yeah. Outcast Second Encounter. I'm like, well, which is, well, which one should I play? I don't know. <laughs> like, which one's the good? Apparently, what, according, well, according to Twitter, 1.1 is pretty good. It, it it keeps the original, but it patched a lot of stuff. So that's yeah. And we're a second yeah. encounter. You have like that aesthetic shift, and maybe there's some mm. things that aren't as good with it. I, I don't worry about it too much. I just I just look online like which is the best version to play, and then <laughs> you can usually find somebody who says 
which one you should probably go with. So, so, so you, you trust the... the I, I go close enough, yeah. Like, as long as there's not, like... <laughs> because if there's a big problem with the re remake, the fans will let you know. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah, usually, the, yes. Uh, but, yeah, this is... Um... Uh, this is interesting a bit of this um at least for me this kind of struggle against like the purity of the original uh, the quality of life and enhancement thing uh in that for example the the, the developers the, the scumbum developers were telling me that uh a few years ago they actually had uh some troubles actually implementing this kind of quality of life enhancements because there were a lot of developers in the team that were against them so of course they I mean, they're, they're kind of a democracy. Well, of that's course, different so. <laughs> than if you have internal politics. You know, you get take what you can get. But... Yeah, and and, and one yeah, of the I, I just realized I'm definitely not on the purity side of things. I'm I'm for whatever's the most fun or best experience, which is going to be subjective. Because I was thinking of one of my videos, uh, Realms of the Haunting. I, I got semi modern controls working on it. It was still a bit of a workaround, and it. It gave me probably an unfair advantage, and I was happy for it. <laughs> so, because oh, oh, now instead of using clunky keyboard uh, movement, I, I'm able to circle strafe around the enemies. This and the AI, I'm sure it was not balanced for that. So. <laughs> that, that actually happened in uh, several console ports. I remember back in the day where the, the they might have sequences where you're expected to shoot stuff, and it was balanced for like a thumbstick shooting, where it's if you had a mouse. If you had mouse aiming, you had a big advantage for that game, yeah. so it, be, it could become easier. I, th I think there were some sections of like the older Grand Theft Autos actually like that, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I, I'll I'm not much of a purist. I'm just for whatever I think is the best <laughs> way to go. So. Yeah, because I think if there's something everyone can agree with, of course, if this. If a new version like fixes the the bugs, the problems, especially yeah, the, yeah, everybody's on board with bugs. I think everyone is happy that. Well, well usually, I mean, if the bugs are quite interesting, then it can change. You know, yeah. they might want to see the originals. Yeah, for example, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was, I, well, this wasn't really a bug, but I was thinking of like I think it was Serious Sam Three. If the original pirated copies of that, they added this giant scorpion. That was yeah. invincible. It would chase you around. Yes. And like one of the yeah. top comments was the, the hardcore players wanted to know, well, wait, wait, how do we add this to a game so we can have a challenge? <laughs> like they wanted, like, <laughs> like they were kind of upset that this wasn't an option in the full game. And <laughs> in the legit copy, because, you know, they, they probably wanted to do like a stunt playthrough, like how long they could survive with the scorpion chasing them, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that they, they, they lost quite a good chance to actually make like a serious Sam Three Scorpion edition. I mean, come on, <laughs> it might be modded in for all I know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I I wasn't one of the people wanting that, but I can... <laughs> like the the five dollars for the Scorpion DLC, pay five dollars and get something <laughs> that you can't kill and that chases you all the time. It's it's a pretty good deal. I mean, come on. You, you know, if you're upfront with people about it, yeah, it might work actually. You know, for the <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I, I mean, there's going to be a certain group that buys it for the irony of like of a worse experience that they're completely up, and then there's other people who just want that challenge or the masochist. So yeah, you might actually get sales from that.
<laughs> yeah, I, I think we have we have a lot of YouTubers to blame for all the people that want the the worst edition possible. <laughs> yeah, I'm not in that crowd. I, I, I like having, <laughs> I, I, I I like it when developers actually try to make a fun experience. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Definitely. I appreciate that, even though even maybe it's underrated online. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, basically, yeah. Just the, the the last thing I wanted to say is that uh, one of the co the co leads of on uh, Scum One was saying that uh, he fixed uh, a few bugs in the Hugo trilogy. I don't know if you're oh, yeah. familiar with it. And. So basically, I think he also, um, if I remember correctly, he also ported mouse support from the Windows version to the DOS version of the games, and people got angry. A lot of the, the developers got angry and said, but it wasn't in the original DOS version, so it's not supposed to be there. So <laughs> you, you, you know what? You do just, just slap a 1.1 .1 denominator <laughs> so people don't get yeah. mi mixed up. And I think, I think it's hard to go wrong then, because then you're... <laughs> Here. As it's as another version. A clear distinction, you know. Like. <laughs> so everything can be fixed by uh, incrementing the version of your game. Yeah, yeah just just let people know that this is not the original. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> so, so I guess we're ready to do into the deep podcast 1.1 at this point. Mm -hmm. I think. <laughs> Or, yeah. or classic. I, I, yeah, that that is a real conflict, but I mean, I, I don't worry about it. I, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like like actually, my last video, there, I think he might. I'm not sure if he took the comment down or it got buried. But one guy, like I went out of my way to get anti-aliasing working on it for, and the thing is, it wasn't inauthentic what I was doing. I mean, because you could have anti-aliasing on games in the early 2000s, and I loved it. It was to this day, it might be one of my favorite graphical enhancements because the shimmering stuff can drive me crazy, but. Somebody w was decrying it, saying that like he was very disappointed <laughs> and I wasn't doing the original thing. I don't think he was being sarcastic either. <laughs> and and I, I well, the reason I think he might have taken his comment down is I replied that he might have been mixing up like 2D filtering with 3D filtering because this, this is just math. These are polygon shapes. This is you're just rendering of higher clarity. Whereas uh, so, some games will have like 2D filters where they you can kind of blend the graphics together. It looks more like an oil painting instead of the original pixel art. So it might, that's a much more subjective thing as to whether people like that or not. But yeah, I, no, the purest crowd is real. I, I just, I, I guess I'm not their ally, but <laughs> well, well, we're both against the games being destroyed. So I'm their ally. Everything you said I just can't get enough I just can't get enough Slip and slide as we fall